Okay, over the past number of months, uh, with the deacons' court of the church, the deacons of the church investigating the possibility of relocating the minister and the minister's family, a lot of you know that there's been quite a few workmen who have been coming and going uh, from our house in Woodford Green. Okay, so we have had over the last wee while, we've had repairs done, we've had valuations offered, and we've had quotes given. It's been all go uh, up at our house in Woodford Green, all kicking off in northeast London. So much so that one morning, around October time, I was walking around the house and I was walking from our kitchen and I was walking towards my study only to be met by some dude <laughs> standing in our hallway, this man standing there. Now, it's not as scary as it might sound, uh, actually. Uh, despite the fact that I hadn't been at the forefront of organizing the works, I knew he, who he was. Like, I knew that this was not a burglar. I knew that he was not here to rob us. I knew that clearly my wife had let him into the house. But I still didn't know exactly what he was here to do. So it made for a rather awkward encounter, as you can imagine, with this guy in my hallway. And I'm scratching my head looking at him. I'm like, why are you here? And I had to ask the tradesman, what exactly, my friend, what exactly are you here to do? Now you see that idea, as absurd as it might seem, in a way that's what we're going to do this morning. Because if you were here last week, most of you were, you remember what we did, do you? Last week we thought about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't we? So last week we thought about the baby in the manger, and it's though last week we went to Jesus Christ and said, who are you? And if you're here, do you remember what Jesus said? Do you remember before Abraham was I, and do you remember what Jesus said to us? He says, eternal, divine, savior. Right? Well, this morning, do you know what? The question or the query that we're asking, it changes somewhat. So you and I are still looking over the manger this morning, but the question we ask Jesus is different. In some ways, it's the same question I asked the tradesman. Do you see it? We come to Jesus this morning face to face, and we're asking Jesus, why did you come? Like, we know, Jesus, that you've come to make repairs. We know that you've come to repair your people. But, Lord Jesus, what have you come exactly to do? Now, to answer that question, we're going to look this morning at what I think, and I'm willing to be wrong, but what I think is quite an overlooked portion of the Bible in Luke chapter 2. Quite overlooked. But before we get into it, what we need to do is just explain or spell out what we're going to do, the plan. So, yes, look, no surprise to anyone in the room at all. Yes, we're going to have headings and we're going to work through this section through points, right? So we always do that. What I'm actually wanting you to appreciate is this, that each of the headings of the points are going to have the similar or a same flow. So listen to this and try and get it. So for each of the points, we are going to, God willing... We're going to see both a practical lesson and the gospel truth. Everyone with me? So each of the headings in the section, we're going to think about a practical lesson for you and for me, but we're also going to see a gospel truth, a truth about what it is that the Lord Jesus Christ, what God became flesh to achieve. Is everyone with me? Do we get the flow? Do we get the plan of how we're going to approach this? Well, if so, can I ask you to turn with me to 
the portion of scripture. So, if you're using your phone, you, fine. Get it up on the phone. If you've got your the, a, a, a real copy of the Bible, then please turn to Luke chapter 2, page 857. As we consider the first heading here, and that is that Christ was born to secure heaven. Everyone hear it? Christ was born to secure heaven for his people. Uh, okay. Despite the fact that we, just like last week, we're not coming to this section of scripture as part of a sermon series, are we? Now, despite that, I do not think that I need to say anything really about the context. Because surely it is the case that everyone knows what has just happened when we're coming to Luke chapter... What's just happened? Jesus has just been born, okay? So we have just had that moment where the angels are singing and the shepherds, just in the background there, the shepherds have gone to visit a Bethlehem. So I'm right, am I? Everybody, we, we know that the background... I wonder, have you, have you ever considered what happens next? Like when the angels are quiet and the shepherds, have you got it clear in your mind what happens next? So we learn here that what happened, do you know, in the calm after the storm, if you like, what happens is that Mary and Joseph, after an appropriate time, they take this newborn baby, Jesus, and they take Jesus to Jerusalem. So they make that journey to Jerusalem and they go to the temple with the baby. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you and humiliate myself in a sense that I found this difficult. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But trying to pinpoint exactly what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus in that temple, like to get it right in the step, what they were actually doing, why they went there, to try and work it out. I find it really difficult in sermon preparation. And maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm not the only one. So what I want to do is just make it very clear and show you or ask you to notice in the text three Ps to make it really clear. So look with me. Have a look. The first one, what did they go to do? Jesus was presented. So did you see that at the end of verse 22? Do you see it? So it seems to be, I think, like, you know that um, Old Testament story of Hannah? Do you know that story with Hannah and Samuel, the little baby or a little boy? It seems to be very, very similar. It's almost that like Mary has gone to Jerusalem to kind of hand her son over to God, did you see that? To present Jesus, to, to, to give him, dedicate God, get, dedicate Jesus to God for lifelong service, right? You get that? So that's the first one, presentation. Second one actually involves Mary. Do you see that Mary was herself purified? I think the, I, yeah, I think the background is really quite important here. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, follow this with me. If a woman, if a mum was to be made ceremonially clean after having given birth to a child, what the mum had to do after the eight days of the circumcision, the mum had to wait a further, it's really precise, the mum had to wait 33 days. Okay, so eight days, Leviticus spells it out, eight days, then another 33 days. And then if she's going to be made ceremonially unclean, the mum then has to go make the journey to the temple and the mum has to make offerings to God. Right now, the simple thing I can say to you is that that's what Mary does. 
right? But what I actually want you to note is the detail of it in verse 24. I wonder if you got it. Do you see? What does Mary not do? Mary does not offer a lamb. Do you see? Mary offers a pair of turtle doves. Does everybody know what that is? That is the offering allowed only to the very, very, very poorest people in Israel. Isn't that amazing? Again this morning, again this Christmas, you are confronted with what is an amazing truth. You're confronted with the utter poverty. And the, I mean, you can't even afford a lamb. You're confronted with the utter impoverishment that God came into in order to save his people from their sins. You see? So we have presentation, don't we? And we have Mary's purification. But the, th- the last one is payment made. I love this. I love it. Love it. Because here's the deal. If I was preaching this sermon in any other church in the world this morning, okay, any other place, if I was preaching this in America or South America, there might be a language problem there. Uh, If I was preaching this in Scotland, this is what I would have to do at this point in the service, right? You ready? I would have to get the congregation to travel back to the book of Numbers. And I would have to go to Numbers 3 with the congregation. And I would have to spend 20 minutes explaining the book of Numbers to that congregation so that they understand the redemption of the firstborn. Why am I so? Because I don't have to do that with you good people, I hope and pray. Because everybody, we've been studying numbers, haven't we? We know the redemption of the firstborn. Do you remember it? How God accepted the Levites in place of the firstborn, that the people of Israel from that point on had to actually give money, didn't they, to redeem their child. You see, we know about it. And so we know verse 23. We understand. You understand verse 23, don't you? Mary and Joseph have paid the price in their son's head to redeem him. What are the three P's? Presentation, purification, and praise God, payment made. Okay, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? I think this is a really exciting time for London City Presbyterian Church. We've got some expectant mums. In the congregation, we've got an increasing number of the littlest kiddies running around the church or walking around the church. So, in view of that, when you think about our situation, can I ask you, what do you think of Mary and Joseph? What you've just read there. Would you agree with your minister on this, that Mary and Joseph seem to be absolutely determined to raise their children in a godly way? Isn't that it? Mary and Joseph in this portion of scripture seem utterly determined to raise their child by the law to parent by the book. Do you not agree with me? I mean, think about taking this little baby all the way to Jerusalem to dedicate the child over to God. They are determined to raise this child in a godly fashion. And so the practical lesson for you and for me should be really clear and particularly obvious. Whether we are a parent just now, or a grandparent just now, or whether that could be true of us in the future. What's the practical lesson here? You and I have got to try and do the same. We have to try to parent by the book. Now, what do you say to me immediately when I say that? We've got a parent by the book. What do you say? You say, well, that's fine, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it should be pretty obvious to us. If we need to parent according to Scripture, what's the first thing we need to know? We need to be clear 
about what Scripture teaches. What does God teach about parenting? Do you see it? We've got to study really hard for ourselves the responsibilities for parents. We've got to study. What's, what does God say about responsibility for a father? What does God say about the responsibility for a mother? What does God teach in Scripture? Do we know this? What does God teach about disciplining children? You know, we know what the world says. We've probably read a thousand books from the world. What does God say? Does God talk about naughty steps? Does he talk about time out? What does God say about training in godliness? So we have to study scripture for ourselves about it. But maybe there's something else. Do we not, do you think, do we not need to be more open as Christians? I need to ask, if you're a parent, a grandparent, and you're stressed, are you a parent and you're struggling? Do you not need to speak to your covenant community? Do you not need to speak to your spiritual family so that we can pray together and seek the Lord's face? You you see it, do you not? Mary and Joseph are determined, aren't they, to raise Jesus in a godly way. We, We must do the same. So a practical lesson, but does anyone remember what I said at the start? Anyone remember practical lesson and a godly through a gospel truth and so to get that here i'm just going to break for a second and speak to the children and they're scattered all over the shop today but you can listen to me just now boys and girls i just got a very quick game to play with you really quickly so all you need for it is your bible so if you look at your mum's bible your dad's bible or the one you're looking at just now okay you ready for it here's the game so i want you to look from verse 22 to verse 27 and boys and girls i want you to tell me or to notice what idea is repeated time and time again have a wee skim of it you don't have to shout it out and the adults are not off the hook here i want you to do the same you see the idea that's repeated just nod if the boys and girls get it i've got a few furrowed brows I'll help you. Come on, I'll help you. I'll be nice to you. Look at verse 22. Look, the purification was done how? According to what? The law. Look, verse 23. The child is redeemed how? As written in the law. What's written in verse 24? Did you see? The law. Verse 27. What does the Holy Spirit mention again? The law. Do, do you see it, friends? In Jesus' infancy, the law is mentioned a hundred times, a thousand, a million times. It's, it's just repeated and repeated. Do you see why, friends? We're standing before the Lord Jesus. We're asking, why are you here? What have you come to do? And what are we being told? We're being told and shown that from the very beginning, the Lord Jesus Christ had come to fulfill the law's demands. Isn't that it? Like, listen to me, primarily this section of scripture is here to show you one thing. Jesus had been born to do what you can't do. Jesus had been born to do what I can't do. Primarily this section shows you Jesus had come to fulfill from his birth onwards, even in his infancy, to fulfill every, every element of the law's demands. He had come not just as God, but he had come to secure heaven for his people. How? By from his birth living a perfectly righteous life and fulfilling the law for you. And I reckon this Christmas that should move us to praise. That we should not just praise God just for his 
identity, but we should praise the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. What has he done? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that you and I might receive adoption as sons. He fulfilled the law for us. Okay, second thing, as we move on, Christ was born to extend hope. So Christ was born to secure heaven, and Christ was born to extend hope. Now, cards on the table, so to speak. Uh, Christmas can be quite a difficult time for a minister, for a pastor, because every year annually a minister is faced with a difficult decision of what to preach at Christmas time. Did you know that that was a stress for a pastor? It really is every year. Now, what some pastors do at this time of year is that they will preach a sermon series, and maybe you've heard of this, have you? They'll preach the sermon series, The Songs of Christmas. Have you ever been in a church? I had a wee sneaky look at our website, and it hasn't been done at LCPC, so you all know what you're getting next year. But the songs of Christmas, the Advent songs, do you see the idea? So week by week, the minister will preach maybe the angel song, and then Zechariah's song, and then preach Mary's song, preach Anna's song. We get the idea, do we? Now, what's the obvious thing for me to say? Obvious thing for me to say is that as part of that sermon series, the minister must deal with what you've got in your hands. Because we carry on in this section. What do you hear in your lugs? What do we hear? We hear Simeon's song. Okay, so let's have a look at it, just briefly. Simeon's song. Now, look at verse 25. First of all, who are we dealing with? Do you notice the the detail that's given? He's a devout man. Now, don't don't let that pass you by. That's a beautiful detail, isn't it? A devout man. But even in this time of just utter irreligion and darkness in Israel, God still had his people. God still had a believing man. So you've got that. That's Simeon. He's a believing man. But then notice what it is that Simeon does. Because you're with me. Isn't the timing seem amazing. Don't you love the timing? Because it seems to be just as Mary is entering into the temple, just at this moment she comes into the temple, so does Simeon. The timing's beautiful. And Simeon does what he takes Jesus in his arms. Can you imagine it? This is a man who has God cradled at his chest. And Simeon lifts up his voice and he praises Almighty God. Now you've been, uh, you've been promised at the beginning of the service. You've been promised the practical truth in a gospel lesson, right? Well, as far as the practical truth is concerned here, I've got to warn you in the sense that it's not very Christmassy. <laughs> because I really believe, as I've studied this portion of scripture this week, I firmly, genuinely believe that what God does here is he teaches us about death. And I know you're, you're thinking, this, this, this is not very Christmassy, man. We want goodwill to all men. We want hope. We don't want death. But I'm right, am I not? Like, you can see the situation for Simeon. Simeon, it doesn't spell out that he's an old man, but he is certainly facing death. 
And he has received a promise from God, hasn't he? That he will not die until his eyes have seen the Christ and his eyes have seen the Savior, right? It's death. Now, what I want you especially to notice is how this man speaks about dying. So I'm going to ask you to do this, please. Would you look at verse 29 with me? Now, I'm going to make it slightly different. I'll just give you a minute just to read verse 29. It's it's incredible. Look at it. Have you read it? Verse 29. I'm asking you, how would you describe Simeon's attitude to dying there? What would you say? Would you say, well, Andy, he seems to be almost confident in the face of death. Would you say that? He is, right, isn't he? Because he's speaking about, he's speaking about peace. He's at peace with the idea of dying. But I'm going to say back to you, I think it's even more than that. It's very difficult to describe. But would you not say that he almost is excited? About the prospect of dying? Is it not almost that Simeon is kind of relishing the prospect of dying? Because look at the language. He says he praises God for letting him depart. Can you get ahead right there? Praising God for allowing me to die. And it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that has the idea of actually being set free from slavery, set free from chains and from, from chains and from shackles. It's death and liberation to him. And he's excited. You know that idea of a prisoner coming out of jail and they see their family and they're breathing in the fresh air. That's Simeon with death. He's excited about dying. Now if you're in here this morning and you are not a Christian, like, does that sound like the most countercultural idea you've ever heard in your life? The guy, I ask you a slightly different question too. If you're not a Christian in here, is that subject that we've just turned to there, death, is that your most feared of all subjects that I could speak about this morning? Like, is it, is it true for you if you're not a Christian that you live Always in the fear of dying. You're living, but you're petrified of dying. Is that you? If so, do you not see the lesson in the portion of Scripture? Do you not see what God is teaching you and showing you this morning? Listen carefully. It's only if you do what Simeon does that the fear of death for you will ever diminish. Did you hear that? Only if you do what Simeon does will you ever know that fear of death subside only if you take to your chest to your heart the message of the good news of god only if you see as simeon does with your eyes the eyes of faith only if you see the salvation of god only then does that fear move away and go you you see it in short what am i saying only through christ only in the lord jesus christ does death lose its sting but for the rest of you like, if you are a Christian, I wonder, do you see the gospel light in Simeon's song as words? And you know, to be frank, I mean it almost literally. I um, wonder, has anyone in the room ever gone down to Regent Street, Oxford Street, for the switching on of the Christmas lights? Have you ever done that? I have never done it. But every year, I say to myself that I'm going to do it. And I've never yet done it. But I imagine it would be a lovely thing to see, right? I, I think it would be a wonderful thing to see. You know, these are dimly streets, just with the streetlights, and it's all dark, deliberately so, so that there's a contrast. And then suddenly what happens? What happens? Like if you're standing at that crossroads, 
You know, everywhere you look, there's this beautiful, bright, shiny, dazzling light, right? It'd be quite something. Do you not understand that that's the idea that you've got here? Because we are standing before Jesus, right? Like that work when we're saying, why are you here? What have you come to do? And what does Simeon sing in verse 32? Look at it with me. Look at verse 32. Christ has come to be, look at the words, a light for who? Look at verse 32. A light for the Gentiles. Do you see what's been promised here? Do you hear the words of the song? This is an opening up, an expansion of the good news. This child born to Mary 2,000 years ago. Listen, he had not come just to be a dimly lit Jewish candelabra. This son, this child born to Mary 2,000 years ago, he had come to be what? A dazzling sunrise across the earth. Who was the one in the manger? He was the light of the world. And I truly believe that we as Christians should be grateful for that. Shouldn't you be grateful for that? That the gospel is not ethnically constrained, geographically bound. It's good news for the nations. Because what does it mean? It means this Christmas miracle is for you. It means Christ has come. He has come to provide hope But he has come for the Gentiles. He has come to provide hope for people like us. So Christ was born to secure heaven. Christ came also to extend hope. And then lastly, we close with this. Christ was born to divide humanity. Christ was born to divide humanity. I'm going to sound like a real grump when I say what I'm about to say. But it's true. Um, is it not the case that over the years, Christmas has become increasingly, nauseatingly sanitized in this country? It is. Oh, I sound, I can hear myself and I sound like a real Scottish grump. You've got to get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, rather. I, uh, I love Christmas. I really do love Christmas. But you know what I mean, don't you? Like Christmas is just airbrushed to make it really cuddly and fluffy and nice and easy. It kind of is, isn't it? Like the verses, if you get a Christmas card with a verse inside, the verse will be changed or like adapted or punctuated or cut off and it'll be, you know, goodwill for all people regardless of your attitude to God. You know, or the message of Christmas is kind of changed, isn't it? Love everyone at Christmas regardless of what, you know, it's just Easter rivals it, doesn't it? With its chocolate bunnies and all sorts of stuff. But Christmas, you're with me, is kind of sanitized, just cuddly. Biblically speaking, is that right? Like, biblically speaking, the message of Christmas, is it all sweetness and is it all just tinsel? Is it all just fluff? Is it? Is it? No. And as Simeon here continues his song, Do you know what? I think we're confronted with like two really, really solemn ideas at Christmas. Look at verse 35. I mean, it doesn't get more solemn than this. Look at this. You've got at Christmas, remember, you've got this prediction of, do you see a prediction of suffering? Look at the brackets. Do you see the brackets? Look what Mary's told. She's told that one day, look at that, a, a sword 
will pierce her soul. That's not the word just for a little ski and do or a little dagger or something. That word is for, you know, a military sword there. I mean, do you see how solemn it is? You see a somber? It is surely a reference to the fact that one day this mum, loving mum, is going to watch on as her son, who she cares about so much, is going to die on a cross in pain for the sins of her people. That's not Christmassy. But then, even more so, friends, look at the end of the verse. Look at it. End of verse 35, right at the end of our section. We also see, at Christmas, a prediction of judgment. Two. Do do you see it? We're told that, why is Christ come? Why is he here? We're told that he has come to reveal people's hearts. He's going to be the one who reveals hearts. Now you have that judgment, but look at verse 34 and how stark this is. Like look at the two camps in verse 34. Christ is the one who's going to cause the rising of some and Christ is going to come and cause the falling. Do you see the idea? We're thinking Christmas is all tinsels and it's food and festivity. And Simeon said, no, 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 you don't understand. The one in the manger is the dividing point for all of humanity. All of mankind either rises or falls. It divides on, on this one here. Now, that's a solemn gospel truth. So I guess the practical lesson that follows has to be solemn too. And I want to put it to you like this. I mean, you all understand, of course, that Simeon, this man, has been waiting patiently for the coming of the Savior. You understand that. You also understand, I hope, that the Lord Jesus Christ has promised that one day he will come again. So I'm ending this, this morning, uh, with a question for all of you to begin your festive week. If Christ Jesus came back this Christmas... What would be revealed about you? If the Lord Jesus Christ returned this week, this Christmas, he reveals hearts, what would he find in your heart? Here's my question to you. Like, Would would it be, as for so many today, that Christ would come back and find you unbelieving? Is that it, friends? Christ came back. He's promised to do so. If he came back by your sin, unrepentant, by your rebellion, would he find a hard heart? Then I, I have to say this to you, that what you've got in front of you will come true. That Christ will cause your falling. That you will become Isaiah's, or he will become Isaiah's stone of stumbling for you. That Christ Jesus will cause you to fall, cause you to fall into condemnation in the last. But then, wait, is it different for you? Like if Christ were to return this Christmas, is it different for you? Would Christ come back and find you trusting in him? Would Christ come back and find you believing? Then I have to say, it's it's beautiful, it's amazing, because Christ would be for you a different stone. Christ would be Isaiah's cornerstone. The Christ Jesus will cause you a rising. Even today, rising is part of the church, his temple, his dwelling place. That actually, Christ will cause you literally to rise in the last to be with him. And if that is the case for you, then surely this Christmas, you get it, don't you? You understand what we've got to do. Our response to Jesus has to be the same as Simeon, doesn't it? 
Don't we, in light of what Christ has come to do, don't we stand back? Don't we realize, even this week, we have to lift up our voices in songs of loudest praise. Because what is the message of Christmas? A Savior has been born. And what has he come to do? Think of my tradesmen. What has Christ Jesus come to do? He came to repair your heart. He came to make repairs. He came to make us fit through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection. Perfect. To dwell with God forevermore. Friends, surely this Christmas we rejoice, not just in Jesus' identity. What's he done? He's fulfilled the law. What's he done? He's extended the good news. And he has come one day to judge that we might rise and rise to live eternally with him. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Advent, the story of your coming into the world, of clothing yourself in flesh, of taking to yourself our nature, though sinless, of identifying with us, that you might redeem your people. We thank you that from very earliest days that you began to fulfill the law's demands for us, that you would live in the way that we cannot live righteously to earn heaven for your church. May you be praised. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.